Apparel Podcast brought to you by Home Field Apparel. We are coming to you live right after the College Football National Championship game. I'm Carlos Adequity-Brun. Joining me, a woman burned by her takes in 2021, Avery at Brave Grapes. Hi, everyone. And Greg at Bananamorphs. I've never been more happy to not be following Big Ten football next year because, Jesus Christ, <laughs> that was the worst game I've ever seen. Uh, vindicated boy, Matthew Hubertson at no pit stops. Never wrong. Just early. Holy shit. And for the last time, maybe not. <laughs> he's uh, he's here forever now after this one. Reed at Pac-10 Reed. I, I'm back for good now. And I just have to say, I thought winners win. What happened? I thought winners win. <laughs> Michigan was undefeated. A winner did win. Um... Man, we've got a lot to talk about for you with Washington's loss to Michigan in the title game. I was hesitating whether to say blowout loss or just a straight-up loss. Uh, Washington does lose to Michigan in the title game. We'll recap that game in depth uh, with lots and lots of uh, different angles about all of that. Uh, We'll also recap the weekend that was in Pac-12 hoops later on, including Arizona looking like untouchable juggernauts, including UCLA looking like a broken, melted-down team right now. But first, quick programming reminder, this officially, finally, we can definitively say, is our last football episode on the main feed. We'll have uh, more football discourse on the Patreon uh, the rest of the offseason. Go check that out uh, at notruckstops.com for just $5. From now on, our episodes on the main feed on YouTube will exclusively be about basketball. Those will go at our normal time on Sundays, 9 a.m. Pacific, so join us for that. As always, do subscribe to our YouTube channel, like the video, comment away with your thoughts in the YouTube chat, follow us, and tweet us at No Truck Stops Pod on Twitter. Send us in your questions and rants. And of course, podcast listeners, follow the show on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five star review. All right, let's just get into it. Washington loses to Michigan. 34 to 13 in the college football national championship game. This game, uh, if you're curious about the way that it went, Washington got down early 17 to three, thanks to some big Michigan runs. They battled back, became an ugly game. I believe these two didn't score for long, long stretches in this one. Uh, Washington battled back to cut the lead 20 to 13. Then uh, Michael Penix interception basically ended the game. Michigan uh, scored a couple of times, and the game was over. Michigan National Championships, Washington, leaving the Pac-12 uh, runner-up yet again. There are lots of things to take away from this game, lots of different reactions to have. Reed, let's start with you. You love being in the moment, so what did you think of Washington in this game? My big takeaway is Washington had a great season, but they never deserved to win a national title thankfully they didn't win a national title we're all saved from that uh you know i i mean that's where i start like this game started with michigan really controlling the line of scrimmage and as we kind of talked about the frustrating part that bore on with michigan is that they don't know how to take advantage of that you know physicality edge up front um and they stayed in a one possession game into the fourth quarter gave washington plenty of chances but Ultimately, you know, the dice rolls that Washington had been playing with all season finally caught up to them. Um, and I think that's the right ending to this story. I'm biased in saying that, but that's what I think. 
Matthew Peterson, you feel the same way? I mean, you're the one who was probably most vindicated in that way. Uh, Reed obviously kind of alluding to some of this idea that Washington came in. People were sort of like, do they deserve to be here? Is this really that good of a team? Do you feel vindicated? Do you mm-hmm. feel like this is uh, they got what they deserved? Do you feel like it finally caught up to them? I it It's hard to say that because, like, Michigan did it in the ugliest fucking way possible. Like, I don't like... Like, it's really hard to feel that way when I don't think that Michigan did anything that, I don't know, five other Pac-12 teams could have done this <laughs> season and probably should have done this season. Like, I, and and a lot of that is is out of the fact that, like, uh, look, I think Michigan did a great job defensively. Ultimately, Penix saw a lot of throws. There were drops by by Washington wide receivers and pass catchers. and 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 I think that being in this place of, like, Yes, everything caught up to them, but it really felt like it was a lot more of their own performance. Just they weren't elite for the first time out of 14 attempts or 15 attempts. They weren't elite this time. And and I know that they weren't elite in ASU and like all like what? Like, I get it. I, I understand that they were not elite 14 times, but like it caught them this time. And I don't and and I do think that there's a bit of me that is a little bit. I don't know, like I. I do think that we talked about this team like this was their ceiling and this was, and that they had this great ceiling all year long, but that the way that they function and the way that they go about a team uh, about a game is one that is very difficult to sustain over 15 weeks at an elite level. And it sucks that it got this far (laughs) and, and ended in the way that it did because remember how we were doing the bit all year of like, is Utah really doing this thing again? And I was absolutely certain that they were going nine and three and winning that, winning the conference. I got to that point with Washington in this game. Like what, what they were down two scores. And I was like, yeah, sure. Fuck it. They're still going to win by three. Who cares? Like (laughs) they're absolutely doing this thing again. So I, I got sold on it. So it's hard to be, it's hard to have too much of a victory lap right now on it. What about you, Graves? I mean, you were sort of coming into this, I think, thinking, well, they've played up to the level of competition at every stage they have. Um, what did you think about them in this game? Were you surprised that they got their asses handed to them? I mean, no. I, I, I didn't watch Michigan all year long. I'm not going to pretend. I was watching Michigan all year long, but I think it was pretty clear that like Washington had a ceiling, and I thought it was kind of silly that they were in the national championship because this is a Pac-12 team. Pac-12 teams don't go here. Um, but yeah, I. it's a frustrating end of the season. If you watch them play in every game, and I said this on Twitter, if the college football playoff committee watched them play in every game, Florida State probably wouldn't have been the team, the undefeated team left out of the playoffs. Like they, they had a lot of unimpressive wins this season, but the point was they got the win. So I guess having a blowout to the best team in the country isn't like the most shocking thing in the world. Yeah, we got a comment here from uh, Nick Sandoval. He says, Shout out to our defense. They've been flamed all year, but they were the only reason this was a game until the fourth offense let them down. But they just just couldn't handle Michigan's front. Greg, how about you react to this comment here? I mean, Washington's offense has been a big story because it's been their strength, but also they've been uh, absurdly frustrating, as we talked about on our Patreon episode last week. What did you think of Washington's offense? Well, I just want to say this game was cooked up in a lab to be as painful for UW fans <laughs> as possible. That, like they just couldn't get that feeling away while watching the game. Every time something big happened, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's gonna re- that would really cause me pain if I was rooting for UW in this one." Uh, to start with, last week 
everything goes right, basically. You beat Texas. Everyone agrees you were the better team. Everyone's saying, oh, Penix should have won the Heisman. He was robbed. And then you get to this week, and just it all fucking falls apart. To start with, you're allowing 40 yards per carry to Michigan. You know, you go down big. And then once your defense finally starts getting stops after you're already feeling terrible, like the game's over in the first quarter, your quarterback fucking forgets how to throw. Like, I can't imagine a game that would have brought me more pain at all. Like, in the national championship game, every college football fan is watching this game. And you looked so bad. Just atrocious. Mm. Everything. Oh, my God. I I would be on suicide watch. And then the refs on top of that. The refs on top of that because Washington absolutely got screwed. The refs were atrocious. The holding call that took away. The, did, I need to push back did on Did Washington this. get screwed or did My your betting, betting slip was get screwed? Right? I was I was 2 yards away from hitting the over on the Rome uh the Rome receiving yards prop. But uh, they absolutely got screwed. There was holding, not being called by Michigan all game, both defensive and offensive. And then the first time they actually fucking call holding in that game, it was that weak-ass play? Like, what on earth were the refs doing in this one? (laughs) How many times has Washington been, like, very benefited by poor refing this season, though? Like, it's happened multiple times where they got bullshit PI calls because they have the best receivers on the field. So I, I don't know. I don't like blaming things on refs. I think it's really easy to do that. I will say that coaches need to teach their pass rushers how to act like they've been held a little bit better because Skill it issues. really is like there's proof. If you watch the games and you watch what gets called for holding, like if you act like you were held, even if you were held, you just need to like play it up a little bit. They're going to call that shit every time. That's a skill that needs to be taught. Like, send them to acting classes. It's kind of embarrassing. There's no merit in, like, toughing through it. Like, flop on the ground. Like, watch some soccer. Do that shit. You're going to get the flag every time. And I don't want to pretend yeah. like the refs were the reason UW lost. They absolutely weren't. Uh, the offense shitting the bed is the reason UW lost. But uh, they just added to the reasons to want to kill yourself if you're a Washington fan. Yeah. <laughs> The complete inconsistency. That's what bothers me the most is they weren't calling shit the entire game. And then they're like, you know what? Maybe we should get involved here. Yeah. The refs are certainly a part of it. But to y'all's point, y'all are saying this. uh, Nick Sandoval in the chat is saying this. Not the reason that UW lost. The reason UW lost is, I mean, we talked about this exact same thing with Michael Penix on the Patreon episode last Wednesday. We said, uh, you know, our, our national media people... There's national media people who are like, man, where did this Michael Penix guy come from? And then you have other national media people who are like, what are you talking about here? You're not watching the games. He's been here this whole time. And we, as someone who have been watch- has, has have talked about extensively Washington this entire season, have been like, man, th- this has shown up sometimes. But I can see why someone would be surprised because he has a lot of stinky games. I think it needs to be said. Michael Penix had a stinky ass game. I mean, the pressure really got to him. Matt tweeted something early in that game where it was like he was constantly checking at the line and, uh, you know, all the pre-snap stuff was just kind of chaotic early on. They, Go ahead. Michigan did exactly what Arizona State did. It's exactly what we talked about in the preview where it was they were so confusing on the front and Washington had no clue where the pressure, where the pressure was right. coming and from. That, no and clue. the pressure got to Penix. Uh, that was certainly a part of it. Penix was not the slick, like, pocket 
presence that he was against Texas um, in this Michigan game. But on top of that, he was doing what we saw him do, I don't know, five or six times this season, which is like have a game where he's just missing dudes in like the most egregious ways, like two or three wide open NFL receivers, Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, just just flat out missing them, like with no one within five or ten yards of them. He's done this. We saw him do it against in that Arizona State game, Matt. I felt like I, we saw him do it in the Oregon State game as well. Um, countless times where he's just like, and and this is the, nar- the, the narrative we were like, man, there's no way like the same guy who was torching literally everyone just a couple of weeks prior is doing this. So like he must, he's throwing up in the trash can. We talk, we joke a lot about like which one of his ribs is broken now, but like <laughs> it's pretty clear that he's just Long like a streak. He's, he's like a streaky three point shooter. He's like, uh, I'm going to go 60% from three one time. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. There's absolutely nothing you can do to stop me. Your defense can be your, your uh, coverage can be picture perfect. And I'm just dropping every fucking dime imaginable. And then he can go cold any next and in the next game and miss wide open guys. That's this is literally what we were talking about. We chalked it up to injury. I think it's time to chalk it up to just Michael Penix um, and what he has been this season. Reed, you're nodding. You agree? Yeah, absolutely. He's he's hot and cold, exactly like you said. But the other part of that equation too is the offensive line, which we also highlighted. Like we've gone back and forth on them all season, and they have delivered some good performances. But the narrative that they are like a Joe Moore award-winning best offensive in line in the country who just dictates games. It, it's just, it's never been true if you watch them all season or if you watch them last season. Um, and that showed up. I get Dylan Johnson was hurt. I get that, you know, multiple things on that offense weren't working, but it started with the fact that Michigan was not only getting a push, but also confusing that offensive line all night. And they were jumping early. Yeah. Almost oh, all the, how many false starts did they get? A lot, a lot of them weren't called either. Like they probably called yeah. 50% of there was so much movement. It was unbelievable. Yeah. They're probably jumpy, probably confused. Um, you know, uh, I think Michigan presented a different test than Washington has seen all season. And uh, this was the result. Um, it was really an it was an ugly it was an ugly football game. Defensively, though, as uh, our homie Nick in the chat uh, had brought up, defensively they did fu- they they uh, they got their asses handed to them for the first you know quarter and a half. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely, it looked like this was going to be like it was trending towards like a Georgia level beatdown from last year. Maybe not that egregious, but pretty damn close trending. It was like six minutes <laughs> in and it was there. <laughs> yeah. Like, <what? laughs> yeah. Uh, it looked like it was headed that way. Um, Washington's defense did, did figure it out. Um, their front seven did start getting more physical, pushing back, figuring out that they could just drop, put eight in the box. And, you know, you didn't have to worry too much about JJ McCarthy. He made some great plays for sure, but, um, they shut down the run game. They they bailed out to stop Michigan's run game, and I think it worked in the second half. Um, it really did stop them. It turned this into, frankly, an unwatchable football game. For from being completely honest, this was a, <laughs> a horrendous football game. I mean, a disgusting. It was, not fun. It was a disgusting the, football this game. This is the Carlos Big Ten. Reed, I believe. Reed, how Carlos. do you three feel knowing that this is your future? This is the life you will live. <laughs> this is the I mean, good version I grew of up that. In Utah, These are the good teams, I was raising a Utah fan, so I'm quite literally built <laughs> one thing yeah, with a team. Yeah. I, I too was raised a Utah fan. I lived through the 2010s of Utah 
not playing offense. <laughs> and I was not built for this game. Yeah, I was Bain, not built Bain for this game. <laughs> yeah, this game Bane didn't want to go back in that pit, y'all. <laughs> I not want to go, go back. back. <laughs> <laughs> What did I say though? Blue Utah, she and they turned this into the most Utah ass game oh I have ever God. seen. <laughs> well, and that, and that to me, like I'm not trying to shit on UW 100 percent of the time here. I, I, yes, I am. I'm just trying to be tactful about it, so it doesn't seem like I'm just glowing. <laughs> I, I'm not so sure that UW's defense actually did that good of a job. To me, <laughs> like it felt like it felt like Michigan showed up, got up by two scores and we're like sick. We can just sit on it. <laughs> like McCarthy threw the ball eight too many times. That was too many times. And every single, and every single one of those routes was within five yards of the McCarthy line. Of is, outside of like the two at the end McCarthy of the game. McCarthy is literally like, Ben Gilbert Ensign. Like, I'm sorry. I don't want to hear it. That's, that's my Ben Gilbert with alpha brain. Converting that third and 14. Him converting that third and fourteen was the most Bryson Bunch show. <laughs> can we talk? Can we talk really quick, Greg, about these like ins- these ridiculous like yes. things about JJ McCarthy we're hearing? Okay, first National quarter, his first drive, and he says, and 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 uh, Chris Fowler says, JJ McCarthy, uh, without a hint of irony, JJ McCarthy. Uh, brushes his teeth with his left hand to produce <laughs> alpha brainwaves. No, yeah. What the fuck are you <laughs> talking about? It was Holly Rose who said that? It was Holly Rose who said that? Why would she say she that? She was reporting. She was reporting. Yeah. You go and you talk to the weirdo meditating by the goalposts, and when he says that he br- brushes his teeth with his left hand for the alpha brainwaves, you tell America. <laughs> 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 so the right hand is yeah, you can't use the right <laughs> hand when you brush your teeth you will turn yourself into a soy boy beta <laughs> you need to use your left hand that's what people in California do unbelievable and then yeah in the middle of the game oh JJ McCarthy he takes off his shoes and he walks on the grass uh, with his socks on so he feels connected to the ground and he meditates and I'm like what is going? What is this? Why are we? Have you looked at a picture of JJ McCarthy? <laughs> yeah, it looks like Zach Wilson. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's freaky. I hate it. It's bad, y'all. We we all we um, all know though. McCarthy is one hundred percent going over Penix in the first round. Oh, like some NFL GM. Yeah. I hope I hope the yeah. Denver Broncos. Yeah, him. I mean, it's just the most NFL shit of all time to draft McCarthy over Penix after this game. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, he's white, so he's already got a three-round yeah, handicap. Yeah, on really. Him, so. Yeah, truly. Um, so anyway, Michael Penix doesn't look good. The receivers, I mean, I, I don't know. It was really hard. It, we, I, I think this is probably the worst that I've seen Roma Dunze play, the worst that I've seen Jalen McMillan play. Um, this was mm-hmm. this was a brutal. You don't you don't agree, Matt? You feel like they were fine? You think it was all Penix? I, I think a lot of it was Penix. Um, I think like where a Dunze especially is amazing is in contested catches. How many contested catches did he actually have available to him? Like maybe two. Yeah. Like they they just they bracketed him and they like Michigan came into this game and said we're gonna cover Polk and McMillan one on one, try to beat us. And they couldn't. Yeah. Like to me, I I just I do not want to hear. He still had eighty seven like, yards really despite where. being like, just blanketed the yeah. entire game <laughs> yeah i mean i i don't know there was a there it did feel like a couple of times it was like it, it, he was bracketed sure but um might have missed on some but you're right i think that was certainly part of it 
Um, Dylan Johnson got hurt early in this one. Uh, so if you're looking for a salve, if you're Washington, Dylan Johnson was 100%. But, like, come on. Uh, he's, like, the seventh best quarterback you, running back. Why are you in running the, the ball? Seriously, what the like, fuck You shouldn't be relying on that. Mm-hmm. That's fucked up. Yeah, early on, they, they went to Dylan Johnson way, way too much, especially after he went down with an injury. Um, I think it was uh, one of the – I think his, one of his teammates, or was it a Michigan defensive lineman or someone – uh, like landed on his foot, yeah, right? Like rolled up on his foot. Yeah, rolled up on it, and he had to go miss a few plays. Uh, they tried cycling, cycling in a couple of people, but Dylan Johnson sort of kept stayed in the game. Um, and was not productive at all. Uh, he was productive early, got hurt, wasn't very productive. I don't think that that's anything has anything to do with why Washington lost this game. They've they've played better without Dylan Johnson playing at all. I just think at the end of the day, it's like. Their lines, maybe not as consistent and as good as we thought they were, um, which is, I mean, not to not to do this, but is a bit of an indictment on Oregon, honestly. I'm like, when the first time I saw Washington get r- r- ran by Michigan, I was like, is or, I, what Bucky Irving's excuse? Yeah. <laughs> That's what you were thinking about? Yeah. <laughs> you are. Uh, you are can we relitigate Dan Manning? <laughs> I, I definitely. I, wouldn't have I think thought I messaged of, that actually. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought of uh, Oregon until if it weren't for Dan Lanning being on the studio, right? It was great. You were about to mention Dan Lanning there. Dude. He actually was. Uh, he was in the studio. Uh, in the studio, he was at the stadium, but he was like part of the halftime show, part of the studio crew. Did a good job. I natural on TV. I thought. Okay, but but do y'all want to know how much of a dog shit game this was? Because in the third quarter, I saw no less than four different headlines talking about there was mixed reviews on Dan Lanning's <laughs> TV appearances. <laughs> like people were actually discussing that because of the game sucks. Oh, so bad. So bad. Speaking of the Dan Lanning TV appearance, before we move on. I just wanted to share this really good tweet from Sports Law Buff. Uh, they said, you know, if I'm a Ducks fan, I'm so relieved that this is the guy fighting for wins and not for clicks. Otherwise, he might be on the broadcast rather than coaching in the game. After <laughs> earlier in the season, of course, Dan Lanning <laughs> had that nice little pregame talk with his team about how Colorado and Dion were fighting for clicks and not for wins. I, I liked that from the Colorado fans. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was a hell of a moment. It's a little someone I think someone in our chat here said um congratulations to dan lanning for finally getting to see washington lose in person (laughs) (laughs) very it's a very big moment (laughs) reed what were you gonna say i i had a another take on that tweet i didn't really like it as much uh really (laughs) why why reed (laughs) no i mean i don't want to go down the whole dion uh we we don't need to talk about dion (laughs) (laughs) dion sanders discourse here um no, we do not. I want to talk. I, can we can, at this point? Can we just turn this back into like a relitigation on Oregon season? Let's or let's talk about what, Washington st- season real quick, just for a few minutes. Okay. Just because I was like, I'm looking at the time, like, damn, we we don't really have much to say about Washington in this game. I don't think. Um, but Washington goes 14 and one. Um, they were sort of the, they were the first team in Pac-12 history to finish the Pac-12 season undefeated. They. Beat Michigan or beat Texas in a fantastic uh, semifinal. They finally lose to Michigan. 
I mean, obviously, I think this is a good season by Washington standards. Uh, obviously, I think there's no debate about that. Um, I don't know, Reed. What, how do you feel about Washington season? Because my initial reaction is to start putting them in the context of the Pac-12. Where does Washington fit within the pantheon of great Pac-12 teams? Because none of them have won national championships, right? And so we probably should have that conversation. Do you think? I don't know. I mean, I know you're not going to put them over 2014 Oregon, but where would you say? Are they, are they one of the best teams in the Pac-12? Do you think they just, you know, TCU'd their way up here? No, I mean, I think they've definitely earned that distinction. I think they're they're there for me with, like, it's a tier of every team I've ever said actually could win a national title. Um, and to me, that's 2014 Oregon, 2012 Oregon, and 2023 Washington. Um, and I think 2023 Oregon's in a very weird spot given the two games. <laughs> <laughs> they probably probably include yeah, them too for being honest yeah. uh, i'm i don't know if i would but it's right there um but yeah they're right in that conversation uh i think in terms of this season like i talked in the preseason about how this was a uniquely really good group they somehow got Penix and adunze you know to come back along with you know a number of other seniors super seniors due to covid and they had a really good chance to have a good team this year. And I thought it was important for DeBoer to kind of squeeze the most out of that and build momentum for the program going into the Big Ten because of that. And, you know, I get how after this game, Washington fans are going to be like, well, we didn't quite capitalize on their shot. But to me, they absolutely did. This was more than you could have ever expected this Washington team to do this year. I think winning the Pac-12 title alone was a huge success. I think getting the monkey off their back and winning a game in January and a and a playoff game on top of that. And really that Texas game validated this season and the team that this was yeah. more than any other to me. Um, so tremendously successful season for them. I think they should celebrate it. I don't think they should have won a national title. I think it would have been extremely weird and hard to talk about if they did, because they would have been probably the worst national champion this sport has seen I, since I don't know a while, um, BYU 1984, yeah. probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's especially that funny because yeah. of UW's feelings <laughs> about 1984. <laughs> 84. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that one's a little hot. Yeah. I mean, but you're right, Reed. It's like how many, t- I mean, we talked at length uh, at previous episodes on the Patreon, like this Washington team, uh, doesn't really fit the prof at any any dimension of a profile of a championship team. Like they don't have the raw talent. Uh, they haven't recruited particularly well. They aren't even by even analytically in terms of just this season haven't really dominated teams. They don't have the they didn't have the analytical profile of a top five team uh, in the country. And so, you know, it would have been weird. It would have been unprecedented, at least in this era that where, I mean, really since recruiting rankings have been so meticulously kept, right, and documented and recruiting classes have been documented as well and evaluations have been shared and put out and generated, um, it certainly would have been maybe the most unprecedented national championship in quite a while. We have two of those in a year now uh, with TCU in 2022 uh, and now Washington in 2023. Uh, you know, we wonder if one's going to break. It did feel to me that maybe Washington had a legitimate shot at it. Matt, I'm going to turn this over to you. We talked a little bit about, you know, before this, like how much of a shot does Washington have 
Um, and we all sort of said Washington has a legit shot at beating Michigan here. Do you, does this game like make you think differently about that? Do you feel like, no, nah, okay, we can update our priors now. We can definitively say that you can't figure it out unless you have, you know, a blue chip ratio and lots of depth and all that sort of stuff. I, I really don't think so. I, I, I think that the conversation is still the exact same as it has been. So maybe it is updating your priors as far as if you're going to challenge this, it needs to be with elite quarterback play and UW got it for a week and didn't get it for a second. And when we talk about the idea of expanding the playoff does not mean expanding the opportunity and the access to a national title. That's why in an old system, UW's are your national UW's your national champions. Y'all like, they play one game in a national title game and Penix plays out of his mind. Like he did against Texas. UW wins this game going away. Yeah. Like, so I don't, I, I really don't think that it really changes much. And I don't think that it even changes like the view of Washington as far as, I mean, I, I get what Rita's saying as far as they did not deserve to be a national type national champion. I, I don't think that it's any situation where it's like, this would have been an undeserving title you know, holder though, like it, this isn't anything where I'm sitting here saying that like the history books were of remember Georgia as the clear and, and un, you know, unabashed best team <laughs> this year. So I, I, I do think that this is a team that absolutely would have been a deserved title. It wouldn't have been anything that I would have said wasn't reasonable or wasn't okay. I just, I, I do think that it's one of those things of like, yeah, if you sit here and you think that you're Utah or Arizona or, even even Oregon and Washington being in a much more difficult conference, like you're just not going to slide into this thing as a ten or nine seed and and win a national title. Like it's it's not going to happen unless you have the best quarterback in the sport. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And you know, I, to your point, Matt, it's like he looks like he does last week. This 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 isn't even a contest, probably right. He's it's yeah, <laughs> I kicked their yeah, ass. <laughs> yeah. Um, then again, let's do a little I bit mean, like let's, let's the Michigan defense is better than Texas's, so maybe he was never yeah. going to look like that against Michigan. I mean, but Texas did not, by most metrics, did not have a bad. I, I had a pretty it's a good, good defense, defense, but they Michigan's is better. I don't think I don't the think DBs. Michigan's was that much better that it would have been that different. Like his performance between yeah. these two games was such a striking difference. I don't think Michigan was this good. Yeah, Michigan played a role for sure, but it does feel like Penix is. Penix missing wide open shots several times. I think, you know, he, he, if he hits those, if he's just even like slightly below where he is, is a different football game. Honestly. Um, I do. You talked about like in the contents of the pack, context of the pack 12. I, I, I personally, I do not feel comfortable comparing any of the teams of the last three years to like the 2012 to 2014 era. Um, I think that that era of the conference was just so much better. And all of those teams are significantly better than what we have right now. Um, You can like have an argument of just where offenses are now and whether or not they would beat them, whatever. It doesn't really matter. I do think so. I just, from a context of where this team lies in the PAC 12, I push back on them being great. I, I do want to ask you guys though, like how, because there's been all the conversation of it's so great that Pac-12 goes out this way at least. And I struggle with the idea of like, oh, this is their best season ever. But there is a small part of me that is almost validating of we finally in this last season, like we got big wins. Like we've gone, we went how many years without the Pac-12 winning a Power 5 game in non-conference? Right, right. <laughs> like not winning any big uh, non like bowl games, anything like that. And 
this year, and it wasn't just UW, you know, Utah beating Florida, Oregon doing something against Texas Tech. Um, you know, I, like I do think that there is an aspect of this season that does make me feel at least a little more at peace with this was a good conference. Yeah, I think. And I do think that the win over Texas helps yeah, that. I think I think that this was the best that the Pac-12 could have gone out. And obviously, I think we have talked a lot about how disappointing this Pac-12 season was for sure. But Grapes, do you agree with Matt? You feel like this is a good ending, a good a good cap on the Pac-12 and its history? You feel like this is a fitting season? I don't think there's any any such thing as a good ending for a football conference that so many people care so much about. It's true. Like I don't I don't know how you can look at the season and like obviously I think UCLA and USC shitting the bed is really great. That's electric, <laughs> but it's really frustrating that like the two teams that were kind of left behind by everyone else didn't have a the season we were hoping for. Like for me, for the Pac-12 to have like a good final season, it would have required Oregon State and Washington State to be the two best teams in this conference. Like I, I've kind of stuck with it going into January, especially because it's really cool that we get a playoff team. But now that Washington's lost, like looking back at this game, this is a Big Ten game for me. Like I, I really don't feel like this was a Pac-12 game. I don't feel like mm. this was a good closer to the Pac-12 because I know that we put so much of the blame on USC and UCLA, but it is partially Washington's fault. It is partially Oregon's fault that we're not getting the Pac-12 next year in the way that we'd want. So like for me, no, it's not a good ending. It fucking sucks and they yeah. couldn't even finish it properly. Like fuck yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely appreciate those sentiments, but I I do have to say like imagine if we were going out after 2019 or 2021. Like how horrible those years were for this conference. Yeah. God. The gut punch that it would have been like I mean it it is still a gut punch obviously, but at least we have our head uh, like, held, our heads held high after this. Like we went out and I think it's different. I think it's different when you're a fan of a team that has a future. Like there are two fan bases that yeah. don't have a future. Like obviously they was, have their scheduling. <laughs> I don't care about Stanford and Cal. This is uh, this is better than <laughs> they haven't had a future for a really long I mean, time. If they, yeah, but they don't. They yeah, don't so care. These fan bases, a bunch of teams might not have found a spot. So yeah, at least Oregon State like had. <laughs> All Utah fans, fans this it. year has <laughs> has had some highs over the last two years. Got to see, you know, Jonathan Smith build the program to something and and have some fun wins. Like the place the conference was in two to five years ago was just the most depressing thing. Like it was it was terrible. It was a horrible conference. This almost makes it. You feel- kind of would have had to have been a a little more resigned to the fact of like we did this to ourselves by sucking. Yeah, right? like. Yeah. It, this this makes it worse because <laughs> the Pac-12 might have been the best conference in college football this season. Like I would love to see what Oregon looked like Not against Michigan. Like I I I'll say it right now. I think they were the best conference in college football. I think a lot of people would make that argument. So that fucking sucks that this is the Pac-12's best season in so long. They are clearly the best he- like conference in college football and it's just dead. Like that's so fucked up. And it couldn't do anything to save it. I think, yeah, it does suck. There was, there is no good way for things to end. Uh, you know, like the things ending that you like are sad. <laughs> They're always going to be sad. 
Um, and you can't really, it's even when you go out on a high, even if Washington had won the national championship, I don't think we would have felt happy about the ending. I think it would have been bittersweet regardless. Um, I will say 2022 was a more, would have been a more fun ending. I agree. Again, as, as is always true with college football, <laughs> I don't actually want to know what would happen if they played the best teams. Like, I want to be able to yeah. say I would know what would happen if they played the best teams. Because now I feel like we had a lot of questions answered about Washington and a little bit by proxy about Oregon and, you know, like a little, you know, I, I just I like. I don't think no Fafita would have let me down like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go, though. If we could end the season with <laughs> everyone being able to say, Washington's like we were screwed at if Washington went and played Georgia in the whatever bowl the peach bowl and they beat Georgia somehow uh we absolutely this would have been way more fun we could have been like oh look they would have kicked Michigan's ass right um that's way more fun and I think that's what we got in 2022 we got uh yeah Utah played Penn State that was a bit of a disaster but um you know we were like well if if Bo Nix was healthy what would have happened right if if Washington if Washington had figured shit out earlier they could have been a national championship. This is contender. just an argument in support of the BCS Correct. once again. Can Correct. you imagine? Can you imagine if things just ended last week? Oh Return. my god! <laughs> I know. People, I know people want the best teams to play, but I fucking love making up realities and lying about shit. Like I, I still unironically, yes, unironically, claim 2008 as a natty for Utah football. Like I'll do that till I die. Utah because does. We don't, Utah we don't fucking know. Actually. Utah <laughs> should. Utah should. Oh, they don't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they made like one graphic for it right after, and then <laughs> they it. should though. I think that would be the funniest thing they've ever done. But everyone yeah. should claim real national quick. titles at every opportunity. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, real quick. Favorite favorite moment from Washington season this year. Does anyone have any that come to mind? Almost losing to ASU. <laughs> yeah, that was a oh so man, a blast, funny. a blast. The back-to-back yeah. picks from Penix and Knicks in the Pac-12 title game that was electric. I had yes. a great time yeah. while that was happening. <laughs> Seems like we're going with troll answers. All right, who else has a fun, yeah, I'll, fun I'll moment from season? Here. I'd say four twenty-nine in the fourth quarter, <laughs> uh, Houston, Texas. January 8th, <laughs> 4th and 13, Michigan. Um, uh, Michael Penix Jr. pass intercepted by Mike Sanristil. Return for 81 yards to the Washington 8. That's going to stand out for me as the play of the season for Washington. <laughs> I'll, I'll take this one seriously. Okay, real debate. Like, what, what do you think was more exciting for Washington fans? Beating Oregon in Seattle beating Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game or beating Texas in the Sugar Bowl? They'll say Texas in the Sugar Bowl. It's the conference championship game. I think game, it might be for the conference. Sure. It's Oregon and Seattle. No, it's the <sighs> conference championship game I think was more exciting because they knew that. On Twitter, on Twitter, it was absolutely the, the title game because they got yeah. to talk shit to Oregon like in a way they couldn't have to, like after Seattle, Oregon fans still firmly believed they would win the next game. I thought Oregon would win the next game, you know? Yeah. And then they played again and Washington won again. And at that point they got to witness just pure Oregon depression and they had so much fun with that. You know, I think, I think that was the peak of their season. Our homie Joe in the chat, she says that she, she votes the conference championship game. I think that's a good one, but to, Oregon and Seattle is a great, um, uh, I think, a good contender because that one came with like a year of Oregon fans saying, well, you know, 
that was a fluke game and Washington really shouldn't have won that one. And Bo Nix was hurt. And, you know, next time when they play, Oregon should win. And, you know, who knows? And, and then uh, that game unfolds. And it's, first of all, one of the greatest football games in Pac-12 history, if not top three. Um, and um, they win that game and they validate everything they did in the year before. They validate almost the entire of, entirety of Kalen DeBoer's tenure up until that point. Um, it's in Seattle. They get the home environment. Uh, they control the game. They look much better than they did in the first ser- first game in this series between Galen DeBoer and the Dan and Dan Lanning. Um, I think that there's an argument that I that I think I felt like the the conversation after the championship game for, between Oregon and Washington felt more um, like trolling <laughs> and jokes, and the first one felt like true euphoria, and the true first one felt like this was this was a real. Um, a real thing. I think the factor that Greg brought up of people not being sure if they played again, who would win or feeling like strongly that Oregon would win and that it was like a fluky, almost fluky win for Washington, which I saw from Washington fans too. Like the most insane Washington fans weren't doing that, but a lot of them were like, Oh yeah, that was a close one. I think the, like the solid, we are better than you. We beat you twice. We get to hang a banner. The conference yeah. championships. We're going to the playoffs. And you had two chances to beat us and you didn't get either. I, I can't imagine how that's not the better feeling against like the rivals that you hate more than you like your team almost. I mean, I think yeah. that's that offers like a sense of finality. And I think it allows it allows, it, you know, it did allow Washington fans to talk more shit because it's like we just won the final Pac-12 title ever. It's over. But I the game in Seattle, as painful as it was for me, is what I love about college football more than anything on a college campus, the moment mm-hmm. that that entire day was for Washington, having it be game day and the energy around Seattle that totally came through on the TV. The fact that I thought, I thought the first game was also just a better played game. Um, arguably from both teams, certainly from Oregon. Uh, I think, I enjoyed the first game more. I will rewatch the first game at some point probably and appreciate it um, as a great college football game. I think that for the fans, the second game might be better, but as a game, the first game was better. I think that's, that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to see any shit about Washington fans acting like the Texas game was their favorite one of the season. Cause <laughs> we all true. know it fucking wasn't. <laughs> Like it, it was their best one of the season. They probably should be most happy about that. But you beat your rival twice. It's one of those it's, times. Be the serious. Texas game was more validation than anything, yeah. honestly. Right. Yeah. It, that was what it was. It was like it wasn't just that they had a uniquely good, lucky matchup with Oregon. Right. They were a good team. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, they, they have accomplished what the best team in Pac-12 history. Like that's the ceiling of what when we talk about best team in Pac-12 history. That's the ceiling now. The history is done. The, the Pac-12 is over, and they accomplished literally the maximum that any other team accomplished, which is winning a playoff game in impressive fashion and, you know, getting to the title game and being kind of competitive-ish. Very funny to me. I, it's not lost on me that Oregon lost its uh, national title game in 2014 by 22. Washington loses its national championship game by 21. So I'm sure that will but be some let me sort just of step uh, in here. Here it is. Washington, oh my God. Washington never <laughs> led it. Let me be the first one to fire a shot in this debate. Washington never even led in this game. Oregon scored first. 
<laughs> and and talk about the coaching decision to not fucking catch, not receive the ball. What are you? Why are you deferring? Yeah. Um, what is um, that? My favorite, uh, my favorite bit now is that Kalen DeBoer and Mark Helfrich are on the same arc. Let me just go through the. Uh, let me just. I'm just gonna do a little bit Let's of trolling. Um, uh, first year they take over. Um, and both of them go. First of all, uh, they're supposed to be offensive gurus. They're offensive minds. They get. They inherit their best players. Both of them do that in their first year. In their first year, they both go eleven and two. They both beat Texas, I think, in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, people are sort of talking about them That's for next true. year. Did Kalen inherit his best players? What are you talking Roma about? Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk yeah. are all Washington guys. Trice, Trice Raylan was there. Trice. Yeah. Troy, 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 to be fair, Jabbar to be Muhammad. Fair, Jabbar Muhammad, think, he did not everybody. Oh, was he not there? Okay. Do you think Dylan Morris was going to be cooking <laughs> if he didn't bring in Michael Bennett? I, I mean, um, hell for a Sam he recruited Mariota, too. He was on staff. <laughs> okay, fine. I want to say... Um, so they go away. Hold on. Let me finish this out. They go, both go 11 and two in year one. Uh, the next year, year two, they validate everything they do in the first year. Uh, Oregon runs the PAC 12. Washington runs through the PAC 12 entirely. Uh, they both make the playoff in uh, their second year. They both kind of somewhat surprisingly beat a, a very good, but perhaps not elite team in the CFP semifinal. They both play a Big Ten team known for having really great line play and really physical run games. Uh, And they both, with their generational quarterbacks, both get ran over (laughs) by Ohio State uh, in 2014 and Michigan in 2024. I don't know. Which the fact that those two teams on that rivalry is also very funny. Yeah, lots of symmetry here. Here's how I would push back on that. <laughs> I think. I mean, it's not that serious. No, 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 I'm not no, no. being ultra serious, but Andrew yes. Andrew Hoffner ahead. had a good tweet where he said that he doesn't think that uh, DeBoer is purple Helfrich, but instead he's offensive Kyle Whittingham. And I, I think that's a better <laughs> that's comp. Really, that's interesting. Like, I think that's a better comp so. because they recruited about the same level. Both feel like developmental guys, good scheme. And I definitely think DeBoer is a much better coach than Helfrich <laughs> overall. Like I've been much more impressed with DeBoer than I was with Helfrich back then, although I was pretty young. So not like my memories of that yeah. matter. Um, Matthew Everson, is, is Kalen DeBoer purple Kyle Whittingham? Interesting. I, I hate that just because DeBoer has so much history of extreme mm-hmm. success That's at like true. the low levels, yeah. and Whittingham is like Utah. the <laughs> most insular person you could ever be insular. Maybe of. Kyle Whittingham like, and Mark Helfrich are the ones you should be comparing. <laughs> it might be a little. Whittingham had some great <laughs> success as the D line coach at Idaho State. Okay. Um, <laughs> the other thing with Kalen DeBoer and Mark Helfrich, yeah, at North Utah. The other thing with Kalen DeBoer and Mark Helfrich that honestly may end up having long-term impacts. We will see. Uh, they're both dog shit recruiters, apparently. Uh, <laughs> both not great recruiters. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Mark Helfrich is probably a, a worse roster builder. I like Kalen DeBoer as a roster builder. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, but, okay, but how, is t- how is DeBoer as a team? Mm, yeah, that's what we got to figure out. I do out. think he would uh, not be very good at that. After he goes. Mark Helfrich is great. Yeah, after, I yeah. love Mark Helfrich on the call. <laughs> Are you sure? Uh, on the call, I absolutely do. 
Okay, I wouldn't know. I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> what were we going to say? I, just after DeBoer wins four games in year four, we'll find out, you know, once he gets fired. And... <laughs> Let's see how the story gets written. Okay. God, that's actually possible in the new Big Ten. Hey, isn't it? Yeah, Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> Any other final thoughts here about... Uh, yeah, I have, George Kliokov was at this game. His fuck worst. Oh, of course he was. <laughs> fucking coward. He would have been on the fucking stage if Washington would have won it too. He would have handed that thing off just like he did the Pac-12 title game. Handed yeah, off the trophy the like a it. hot potato. And fucking ran. <laughs> he was wearing um, like team-issued UW Adidas. Yeah, who, with gave suit. Those? who did how that? Did yeah, those? how did he get those? He's from what a couple years guy? ago. There's no way he got them recently. No way. Um. So, I don't know. He had some interesting comments, by the way, that, you know, they asked him about. This is probably one of the first public comments he's made since everything fell apart. Sort of asked him, like, hey, what do you think about Washington in the national championship game? The Pac-12 is dead. And he said something like, uh, well, like, we knew this was coming. If only the schools had been more patient, you know, we probably could have secured. A, we, we had a, a deal great by TV January deal. January 2024, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. we were talking about how long the TV deal was going to come out. Maybe they should have waited until January 2024. Oh, my God. Goodness, sure. goodness. All right. Well, that's enough, UW. Uh, great, honestly, great season for them. They should be proud. Like, UW fans should be elated. It sucks that in this era of the college football playoff, we have to know what the result is. Although, they yeah, would have you- played Michigan in the Rose Bowl <laughs> if there were no college football playoff anyway. Right? Like, that yeah i guess yeah i feel like if you're mm-hmm. a UW fan you should be in support of the bcs because you could be claiming a natty right now UW would have won that Absolutely. if it was played they in the could. rose bowl i believe that firmly okay the rose bowl that's interesting hosts good games with good sure. football surely based uh, on their track record of winning rose bowls in our lifetime that's compelling oh, never mind i take it back <laughs> <laughs> all right listen here no natty <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's end it on UW. Great season for them. We'll see what the future holds in store for all of these teams. That is it for our Pac-12 football finale. We're going to talk about UW and the season and looking ahead on Patreon. Check that out. That'll drop sometime Thursday morning, Wednesday night. Uh, check it out for $5 at NoTruckStops.com. We're going to talk some basketball. Matthew Hubertson is going to leave. But first, let's take an ad break. Homefieldapparel.com, your home for all of your premium vintage collegiate apparel and the new home of the Gold Coast Bomber jacket line launched this week. I am wearing my old Crimson Washington State shirt in honor of what might actually be the best bomber jacket going in this line. Many are saying that the Arizona retro bomber jacket is pretty great. It's got the Arizona cactus desert scape logo on the back. That is unbelievable. And I, and I do think that that would be a good choice for you. However, this Wazoo bomber jacket with the script cougars on the back and the rose going intertwining through it, is an unbelievable logo. I've never seen this logo before. Of course, this is what Homefield does so well, finding the old retro logos, pulling them out and telling the story of the school through them. But there are bomber jackets. There's a perfect one for UCLA. There's a perfect one for UW, USC. I guess it's fine if you're wanting to have something to cry in. Even Cal's looks pretty good. Even Cal's looks pretty good. Utah, a school with uh, with difficult choices when it comes to retro logos has one as well. Uh, but these bomber jackets are absolutely fantastic. Of course, get yours at homefieldapparel.com. And thank you to Homefield. 
We're back. Uh, I am wearing a home field hoodie. This is my this is my favorite hoodie season out here in California. Uh, so finally get to wear one of my home field hoodies. Let's talk basketball. Let's start with uh, some good news from Pac-12 basketball. Arizona going absolutely fucking nuclear right now. Number eight Arizona men's basketball. They hosted the Mountain Schools and tore them to fucking pieces. On Thursday, the Cats demolished a shorthanded Colorado team 97-50. Colorado was missing its two best players, uh, Tristan De Silva and Cody Williams, to be completely fair to them. Nevertheless, this game was over fast. Zona jumped out to a 20-point lead. Maintained it and then extended it all the way to 50 points. Arizona had a 50-point lead, 97-47, with like under 30 seconds left. Colorado hit a garbage time three to get it to 47, so we didn't get the 50-point loss on their resume. Then on Saturday, they got a real test at the McHale Center playing a fully healthy Utah team for the most part. Uh, And they won that game comfortably in the end, 92-73. Utah competitive for about a half uh thanks to some hot shooting from Gabe Madsen some really good defense um but in the end Arizona pulls it out let's we'll, we'll talk about Utah let's put a pin in Utah uh Greg looking at you we'll we'll get to Utah but let's start with Arizona because they lose to Stanford last weekend they suddenly look vulnerable we're sort of like mm, is that a fluke like was that just like Stanford shooting the lights out uh what was going on there they come back they're th- Stanford woke them up. Uh, they look like a goddamn juggernaut this weekend. So clearly the best team in the Pac-12. I don't think that's arguable at all at this point. Greg, let's start with you. What impresses you most about what Arizona did this weekend? I mean, for me, it's just the way that, like, they were firing on all cylinders. And when they're doing that, they have a lot of good players, right? And all of them, we got to see them at their best, I feel like. Caleb Love had... A great game against Utah to really put that one away. Pella Larson was great. I feel like in both games, uh, Umar Balo, Kisha Johnson, uh, just like they've got a lot of good players and they can turn to a lot of different places when they need to, which I don't think was the case last year. Uh, I'm impressed by, I guess, the depth of of guys they can go to. I didn't even mention Kylan Boswell, who was good. Like it's this is a really good team with a lot of different options, and you need that if you're going to make a run in March. Uh, They didn't have that last year. I don't think they had that two years ago, even though the top-end talent was better than anything this team had. Uh, This team is a little deeper, and I think that might be what they need in March. This all being said, I'm still wary, but man, this team is just going to coast through the regular season, and we're not going to learn anything about them because they're so much better than everybody else they're going to play. Avery, you got to watch Arizona-Utah, I think. What did you think of Arizona? Yeah, I'm brushing off the Stanford loss. I'm chalking it up to, oh, it's right after the holidays. They're on the road. <laughs> it's a lot New of food. Year's Eve. Everyone's full food. Yeah, this is like the best way they could have started January, especially after that loss. So to me, that's erased. That's out of my brain. Um, maybe that's just because they don't want to be the first or second seed. I don't know. But yeah, they, they kicked... Colorado's ass and they honestly they kicked Utah's ass I'm not even gonna sugarcoat it it was pretty bad so I I feel a lot better I was actually pretty concerned about Arizona but they've proven they've proven my um concerns to be futile Reed did you get to watch any of Arizona this weekend do you have any thoughts about what Arizona is doing this weekend to me it's it's Kylan Boswell is a big part of this like I feel like him steadying the ship for this Arizona team is something that they've lacked in past March runs, uh, that in the, you know, defense. And, and I feel like this, 
is really gelling together. I'm kind of sad that there isn't another team in the Pac-12 that looks like they can compete right now. Utah and Colorado might have been that going into this past week, and we saw what happened in both those games. So, uh, yeah, that's my takeaway from it, really. Uh, I agree with what a lot of you guys said. They seem like far and away the front runners right now. Yeah, our homie Desert Hashida. Uh, I know, I know her name, but I don't, I don't know. She's on a burner. Um, <laughs> says Carlos called them frauds, but that's fine. Yes, I did call them frauds. <laughs> I would <laughs> love for okay, I would love for Arizona to be frauds. Uh, I am praying that they're frauds. <laughs> um, I feel I'm feeling a little reedy about this uh, this uh, Arizona team. Reedy? What does that mean? Uh, and by that and that and by that I mean I'm really pained to say that they're really fucking good and they're so fucking good. I think they're not. Na- I think you this, do this team every might year. actually you win. Do this every year. Might win a national championship. You said you said at the beginning of this year we were talking and you said not this year. This year I will not be fooled by Arizona. <laughs> not until march will carlos, i decide how good they are and here we are in carlos january acts like the biggest hater in the world of arizona like he acts like he fucking hates arizona but he is the first person on this podcast every year to jump ship over to arizona and be like no this team is finally doing it every year it's the same it's a cycle you start with arizona frauds been forever since they've been to the elite eight whatever tweet you want to use whatever event you want to use has happened since the last time they won a national title then the next time oh this arizona <laughs> team is actually kind of fun then the next section uh, the next section you've got uh oh arizona are frauds oh no 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 not arizona frauds we're not there yet the next section is arizona are going to win the national <laughs> title they're the best team in the country then arizona are frauds because of uh them losing to a 15 seed in, in the tournament and then we're back at the beginning and it's just the same every year every year you go through the same cycle and i'm begging for you to learn <laughs> yeah okay uh yes you're right absolutely and and arizona fans have said this to their credit um that they are not going to trust they're, they're not going to trust arizona until you know they they do something in march i think that is a point well taken but holy shit, this team looks. This is the best team of the Tommy Lord era, I will say. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do Reed. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be Reed here and simp for my rival. They, um, they look unbelievable. They look balanced. There is not a very obvious weak spot on this team. Um, their one weak spot is, I guess, their tendency to kind of take too many threes. But they're not. They they did that one time against Stanford. Um, now they did get out physical by Purdue, and they did lose to Florida Atlantic. They are not in, invincible, but when you just look at their roster, it's like and what they're doing. There's no like who's their best player. Like okay, Kylan Boswell is probably their most important player, but like is he lighting it up the way Caleb Love is? Right? They have someone a, a player who can like get hot and score in bunches in Caleb Love. Um, they've got an elite point guard who is fantastic incredible um i see that uh our homie desert has she does put um has talked about kylan boswell's past i got it pulled up here we'll take a look at that in a second Uh, unbelievable uh point guard pella larson like jack of all trades can do anything great two-way player he's figuring it out this season kj lewis a fantastic wing um, Mo Crevis really coming off the bench and providing them a lot of depth at the center. Keisha Johnson, like their most physical player, their best rebounder. They have so many things that they can do to teams. Um, and they, um, 
I'm shocked how much uh, how much is coming in for this Arizona team and how quickly they seem to have figured it out. There's not a team in the Pac-12 that can compete with them. I think they'll drop one. They already have dropped one. They might drop another. Just like mathematically, they will probably drop another. But um, I think I think I'd be hard pressed to do that. They also have this no look pass from beyond half court against Utah. That was just like so. That was so painful as a Utah fan. I was just like, ooh. That was crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, he's he's fantastic. And, you know, he can sort of do all this stuff. He, he's got a lot of disposal. And the Utah game in particular, it was his three-point shooting. Um, a, a fantastic three-point shooter. One of the best three-point shoot, shooters in the Pac-12, um, frankly. He's a great player. He went uh, against Colorado, went four for seven from three, followed that up with a three for five um, from three outing. Like just if you have a point guard who can like actually shoot, uh, trigger warning, Kirk Creesa mentioned, um, who can actually shoot and takes shots when they need to be taken versus just sort of jacking stuff up and is also creating for others. Like they've, they've really found something here with Kylan Boswell. He's an incredible player. The weird thing is Arizona has like so many good players that they're all like kind of, you know, they're all like, they get like five players in double digits. A lot of that has to do with their pace and tempo, but it's also just really spread out. I I wouldn't say that there's like a Pac-12 player of the year candidate among this group um, because they all just are incredible. I think if you probably took any one of them and put them on a different team, maybe they're able to kind of develop a candidate for themselves. I don't know, candidacy for themselves, but um, I don't know. This Arizona team is terrifying, terrifying. I feel like I need to defend Reed because Reed would not cape for his rival like this <laughs> he <laughs> did he literally did no, he, he did. literally he did. did for no, he <laughs> was he was admitting what needed to be admitted this you're initiating this he has consistently said <laughs> UW does not deserve a national title and you are like <laughs> salivating at this Arizona team you, get, you gave up in January um we got a great uh remark here from ready made 17 he says Kylan Boswell weak Kylan Boswell's weakness is he can't attack the rim well. His game can replicate Kirk Crease and become a jump shooter. He doesn't have dribble tri- dribble penetration, which can, which can make the offense stagnant. Yes and no. I feel like he just has it. I feel like he has it needed to attack the rim. He's got a lot of slashers. I think. I mean, I think KJ Lewis can play that role. Uh, Pella Larson often plays that role. Um, Kashad Johnson is there. Like, I just think he has too many options where he doesn't need to do that. Um, I mean, you know, I haven't seen him try to finish that often, um, but it, I don't know. I mean, does he need to? He could just dump it off to Mo Crevis or Marbalo or, you know, catch Keyshawn Johnson from the dunker spot. Like, he's got a lot of options. So, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he'll, he's only 18 years old. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows that. Um, oh, but, my God. Uh, <laughs> um, he's a young guy. He's going to figure it out. I think he'll get better at those things. We'll see if he sticks around in Tommy Lloyd's program because he's He's get I don't know maybe he's not an NBA player right now but he could be by the end of the season. Um, Arizona, by the way, uh, favored to win every single game on their schedule. They are projected to finish twenty six and five and seventeen and three in conference. I believe Ken Palm has Arizona favored by about favored to win the conference by. Um, I think it looks like five games, um, four games over Oregon, which we'll get to in a minute. So, I don't know. This is clearly the best team in the Pac-12. Yes, you're right, though, Reed. I mean, Greg, um, that, like, they've got to show it in March. How many times have we looked at Arizona teams and been like, I don't know if anyone could beat this team. Um, and then... When an Ivy League school does. An Ivy League school does. Or, like, in 2022, it was like, 
oh, they're not, they didn't look good against TCU. They didn't look good against Bryant, to be honest with you, in that, in that tournament. Um, and then they kind of got their asses handed to them by, uh, albeit a very good Houston team. So lots of stuff to figure out. Um, let's, let's see, let's see what happens. Um, I will not be surprised if they get kicked out of the tournament early on. Uh, any other thoughts about Arizona before we move on to a more depressing team? No? Okay. Uh, let's move on from Arizona. Let's talk about <laughs> the other basketball blue blood in this conference. This one in the news for a completely different set of reasons. Utah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I forgot about Utah. Utah played Arizona. They lost Arizona oh, State. Uh, Greg, uh, quick thoughts from you, and then we can go to Avery. Thoughts on well, Utah men's first hoops of all, before we go on to UCLA. I totally called that ASU game. Just completely called it on the last episode. I said they were going to lose that game, and I said it was going to happen exactly like it did. Uh, ugly and disgusting and not making any sense. So uh, good job, me. Not good job, Utah. You can't lose that game. That was that was pretty bad. Um, I'm not super mad about the Arizona the Arizona game because there's just miles of difference between the quality of the two teams. But if you're trying to be a tournament team, beat ASU. Like there's just not, there's no excuse for that performance. It was terrible. Uh, and I am a lot more concerned about the, this Utah team than I was before. Kabakata needs to play more. You've tweeted a lot about it. I agree. He is better than lost and lovering. He is a game changer for Utah. He needs to see the court more than he does, but overall it's whatever. Grace, what did you think? Really upsetting, considering how Utah season started. Like, felt like Utah might be the best, second best team in the conference. I'm forgetting about Arizona. They're clearly the best. Um, and then they lose <laughs> to uh, ASU in a heartbreaker. Also a heartbreaker if you're on Bobby Hurley getting fired watch, which I am. <laughs> like, this guy does not deserve a job. This win was despite Bobby <laughs> Hurley. Bro, Just will like not bad. die. He will not he will die. Just believable. <laughs> Like I guess I guess it is because of him because of recruiting but it's it's raw talent like the shooting Like <laughs> 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 it's, um, it's all shooting Bobby Hurley is not a good coach he should be fired but I I fear that Bobby Hurley will continue to coach this team Yeah Utah man they really needed to be ASU like I figured they'd lose to Arizona I was hoping they'd be a little bit more competitive against Arizona but it's in McHale so you can't be too angry about it losing to ASU just fucking knocks the wind out of mm-hmm. you though asu yeah, it really they does. have made it into the top 100 of ken palm and that means they have passed ucla <laughs> that is correct <laughs> they have passed ucla yeah arizona state now we're just gonna go on a tangent here arizona state uh started this season six and five they look like they were gonna bottom out um they get their asses handed to them by northwestern december 20th they're four and oh uh, all of those games in conference, they beat Stanford by three, beat Cal by two on the road. Those are ugly games. Those are like, okay, whatever. They beat some bad barriers, Bay Area schools. They go and beat a good Utah team uh, in Arizona State. Um, frankly, just off the backs of like Frankie Collins being an absurd player, fantastic player. Jose Perez getting like, he was a flamethrower in that game. He was making everything. Um so they beat Utah and then they go and they host Colorado, a good Colorado team that uh, brought back Tristan DeSova, but is still missing Cody Williams and beat them. And here we are talking about Arizona state as maybe doing something different. They are, listen, I, I feel like, um, you know, I, I watch UCLA basketball the most. I watch Arizona basketball the second most because they're good. And because they're my rival, 
Um, and I watch Arizona State third most. Uh, well, Arizona State and Utah third most times. So um, and because they are just so chaotic, they're so much fun to watch because I just like do not know what's going to happen. Right, like a dude's going to go off. They're going to have incredible dunks, or they're just going to completely collapse and look like dog shit. Um, I, it, it, you never know what you're getting with Arizona State, and I could not. You could not have told me that. And, and convince me that they were going to go four zero to start the conference. Um, it's just the blueprint of a team that like hurts the conference overall because they're going to beat teams they shouldn't be, and then they're going to get like really close to actually achieving something. They're going to be a bubble team, and you're going to be like, oh, could they? Could they get there? And they're not going to get there, so they're just going to drag everyone down with them. And it's so fucking annoying to watch. Yeah. Um, so Arizona State and Utah trending in different directions this weekend. Um, We'll see what happens. I, I mean, I'm curious to see if Arizona State keeps this up or if it was a fluke and they had to, they just got a hot shooting night against Utah and then uh, lucked into playing a Colorado team that's frankly been a little inconsistent. We'll see if that, how that shakes out. We'll see if Utah can write the ship. Uh, they did, it was a tough road trip. They do have to go to the Arizona schools and, you know, Desert Financial Arena is, I don't know what the hell it's called, it was called before then, uh, but that's a tough place to play for Arizona State opponents and uh, to obviously McHale Center. It's like the team's good, the place is rocking, rocking all the time. So it might just be a tough spot for them. They just have to beat the teams that they should. As long as Utah beats the teams that it should, should be okay. They should be a tournament team, but we'll see. Um, okay, let's shift over to the basketball blue blood officially. This one in the news, as I mentioned, for very, very bad reasons. UCLA men's hoops has completely melted down. Melted down. Uh, they started their weekend with a disappointing loss to Stanford in Poly Pavilion, 59-53. to 53. Um, Disappointing one. They followed that up with a brutal, nearly wire-to-wire loss to Cal, 66-57. Cal's first conference win in 19 games and their first win in in Los Angeles since 2012. Um, really, really, really bad stuff here from UCLA. They are tail spinning right now. Uh, after the first, after the Stanford, and it's not just on the court, it's off the court too. After the Stanford game on Thursday, UCLA head coach Mick Cronin said some stuff about his players' aptitude that got him into some hot water. Let's uh, listen here. So we're, our uh, aptitude is a big issue for us right now. So most important thing um, for a teacher is for students to have aptitude or they can't they, they, you're, they can't learn they can't apply so your rate of progress and development is way too slow you would hate so, editing his podcast with all that <laughs> hand tapping very Matt-esque yeah uh, it was a, 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 a brutal press conference lots of player blaming going around um, lots of lack of accountability um, this was a, a brutal weekend for them. He, Mick Cronin, that quote around aptitude got him into so much hot water that the LA Times was writing columns about how he uh, wasn't doing well. Then um, on Sunday, when they played, was it Sunday or Saturday? Um, Saturday, I think it was. They play Cal, lose to Cal. Uh, Mick Cronin doesn't even show up to the press conference. He sends in one of his assistants. Um, and immediately right the discourse around the la times and everywhere is like what the hell is going on um so ucla is in some really bad straits right now reed did you get to watch any of these games did you get to follow any of this discourse what is, what is your read on on ucla right now i did and i hate to be this person but as someone new to basketball and pactual basketball i can't help but like make the comparisons of ucla's talked about like this blue blood and when i think of blue bloods i think like 
you, there's no excuse for having this type of down years. It's supposed to be the we don't rebuild, we just reload. Especially, you know, a, a guy in Mick Cronin who's already been there. This isn't year two, you know, like he he should have been prepared for this. I get that there were some major departures from last year's team, but it's really head scratching because there is talent here. I'm I'm draw like UCLA is the team I watch the second most in the Pac-12. I'm always drawn to them for some reason because of the the cast of characters that they have and a lot of guys that I I think have some potential on this team. Um, so because of that, it it does seem like a coaching issue, uh, and I don't know that it's time to you know ring the alarms on like should we fire McCronin? Should we heat up? you know, his coaching seat. I don't think we're there yet. I wouldn't be the one to probably start that because I don't know. I'm not an expert in, in basketball coaching hot seats, but it's not good. And it, it doesn't seem like it should be acceptable for UCLA fans. Yeah, it's, it's clearly not because the, the noise is getting louder. Now I don't think anyone is talking about firing him. Obviously you have people at the margins who are always like, yeah, dude loses a game fire the coach i don't think people are there but i do think people are starting to raise their eyebrows about the long-term prospects of this i think there's several things it's ironic that you sort of mentioned them in the same breath as usc read because i actually think their roster building approach is very similar to an oregon football if you're a basketball casual um they recruit freshmen uh they value high school recruiting i think that there is a bit of a an okg element to the way that mick cronin coaches not in that like it's an excuse for him to coach lazily, but genuinely the messaging around Mick Cronin as a coach that he messages to recruits is I am going to be a hard ass. I am going to you see me yelling on the sidelines. I will berate you, but I'm trying to make you better. Uh, and I promise you that this is for your own good. So you can come here and opt into this experience and decide I want to get my ass kicked so I can get better or you cannot. And that's fine. Um, that has been sort of the the discourse around Mick Cronin and how he recruits. And he does get elite recruits for the most part. I mean, the international guys were all four and five stars. Um, he has recruited um, high level players, but a few one and dones in the past in Peyton Watson and Amari Bailey, who were one and dones eventually um, and tries to build this through, you know, he doesn't really take a lot of transfers. He doesn't really try Like this is, this is what he's been doing. This is what he's known for. And that's what he talks about when he talks about building rosters. It's something uh, people have talked about. It's evident in the way he recruits. It's in, it's evident in what he was doing this time. I had a long conversation with uh, David Woods over Twitter spaces. He showed up, David Woods, from the Podcast of Champions. and David Woods watching basketball now. Bruin Report Online. <laughs> um, and a long conversation about Mick, Mick Cronin. He was very sympathetic. One of the things he said um, was that uh, a, a lot of this, of, of what Mick Cronin, Mick Cronin is clearly more frustrated than he has been this season. Um, his pressers are a little more agitated than they normally are, even more than his first season in which UCLA had a similarly bad record. Um, and mentioned that, you know, a lot of that is psychological, that a lot of it is, um, you know, he gets to the, the, the apex of his sport last year, has the best team he's ever had as a basketball coach. They go, you know, they get 30 plus wins. They win the conference by three games. Um, they look like they're going to be a legit national championship contender. And then Jalen Clark get injured and a Dembona get injured. And it completely wrecks the rest of the season. Um, his rationale was that, you know, these co he is a millionaire, but he's a human too. And that affects his, um, 
that uh, sort of affects the way he approached these games. Uh, my response to that, and I maintain this, is he is a millionaire and he should simply get therapy. And I mean that like unironically, like he should get therapy. Uh, if you're, if it's affecting your ability to, to coach and be a hard ass and also build relationships with your players. Uh, I think it, I, I think you got to figure out some other way. You're a millionaire. You got to figure that out. Uh, you had six months to figure it out before the season started. You've had several months now, now that the season has started, you've got to figure that out. You're being paid way too much money to sort of be given a pass for sulking. Um, long, there was a long, long conversation about this, but I don't know if anyone had else had reactions to the way he he is right now or UCLA basketball. But I just thought I'd share that. Yeah, I think it was a wild thing to say. Uh, talking about aptitude, aptitude is like that specific. He's basically calling his players dumb. Yeah, he's calling them dumb and like talentless too. Like, yeah, like I. It's just it's a weird method of coaching. Like, because to me, when he says that, it sounds like he's saying these guys can't get better. You know. Because like yeah. aptitude isn't necessarily how good you are, right? It's I guess the capacity you have to how be much good. innate innate yeah. talent. And yeah, innate. As a coach, right. I feel like you wouldn't want to do that to your players' confidence. Like even if you're trying to like light, light a fire under them, I feel like it's a really weird way to go about doing it. I think he's probably just frustrated, like you said, stupid comments. And I completely agree with what Reed was saying earlier about if you're UCLA. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for a year like this. Um, I don't care that you just had Tiger Campbell, Jaime Jaquez, all those guys leave. Uh, fucking, it's a skill issue. Other programs can rebuild. <laughs> yeah. Other programs can rebuild. You're yeah. UCLA. You have no excuse. You have all the advantages in the world. Be good. Yeah. Anyway. This type of coaching mm-hmm. just is so abusive and problematic. And I really do feel like it's not talked about as abusive until a program starts losing, which like, I guess it's good that people are bringing it up as like being unethical or like treatment of the player is wrong, but it it should have been talked about this way, his entire coaching tenure. Like he, he's treated his players like this. He's a hard ass on his players. He's not making dumb comments like this when they're winning, obviously, but treating your players like this is abusive and it's wrong and we shouldn't like idolize coaches for doing that so here's what's the, the interesting thing about and i wrote this on patreon because i think it's a good point the the number one in the the thing that kind of buffers him against the sort of abuse allegations or has in the past is that um his players keep coming back right because right. i think when we get when we kind of like see coaches being abusive and, and it bothering players, they leave. And we're in an era where players have the most freedom of movement that they've ever had, um, especially in basketball. Um, and for the first four years of his tenure, players kept coming back. He had part of the reason why they're in this position right now is they have had an absurd amount of continuity over the past four years. They go in 2019, 2020, they have all the, they have all of these players. They go on a great run at the end before the COVID pandemic. All of those players, except for the ones who graduated, they all opt to come back. They have the 2020-2021 season where they all go to the Final Four. Obviously, that comes with some winning. All those players, all of them, except for ones, again, that graduated or Jalen Hill, who quit basketball altogether, rest in peace, um, all of them come back, right? Uh, 2021-22, again, all those players come back. They opted in again for, for anyone who could opted in again for the 2022-2023 season, they almost all came back. So it's like the thing that kind of protected him is, well, 
he's doing public coaching. He's kind of sending his players a message through the the media. But behind closed doors, his relational work is just – he has great relationships with his players. And I think our best indicator into that is do they keep coming back? And if they keep coming back – Okay, that really that you know it's it's hard to argue against that. This year, this is but to your point, Avery, that doesn't mean he doesn't get a blank check, right? Because these players, if that's true, need to come back. If we start seeing core players from this team, right, ones that are supposed to be the the ones that are supposed that that UCLA is is going to build around, they should come back. Berke uh, Bjuktenchel supposed to be a core piece of that team. They should come back. He should come back. Um, maybe a Dembona might go to the NBA because he has a lot of talent, um, but he should uh, come back. So if they don't, I think we have to have some serious conversations, I think, about that. We have to have conversations about it. We're going to see people talking about how he like purposely pushed him out, if that happens, too, to like get a fresh start, which is really frustrating but yeah. i think we need to be hard on coaches like this and absolutely if the players are sticking around and the players do say they love him then obviously they have more insight to what's going on but yeah hopefully hopefully they'll they'll be okay after this yeah and that's right um so we'll see i mean lots of they've got a lot of stuff to figure out mick cronin is the most flustered i've ever seen i mean he said the most egregious thing the other day with this whole aptitude comment doesn't show up to a press conference, which I don't think he's ever done, um, and is sort of, you know, it, it is blaming, is lashing out at NIL, right? The reporter asked them a few weeks ago, hey, uh, did you think about getting transfers? And Mick Cronin was like, yeah, we did, but NIL. Like, I just, I don't know what else to tell you. It's because of NIL. That's the simple answer. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, now, now he's just doing, like, you know... Uh, coaches who are have their backs against the wall who, who can't mm-hmm. get talent are that's on him them. too uh that's on him too yep, not getting absolutely. the nil money other coaches are good at getting their boost <laughs> they have money. the nil money i actually think that's a bullshit excuse they have the nil money um the story on reese dixon waters uh who was a usc player last year a transfer candidate this year ends up transferring to san diego state ucla very much in the mm-hmm. running very reese dixon waters very much interested uh, Reese Dixon Waters wanted a guaranteed starting spot, and Mick Cronin was unwilling to give it to him. That's the story. Um, frankly, Lazar Stefanovic, oh. who has not had a good season at all, <laughs> is getting all of those minutes. So, yeah, I do think Mick Cronin probably should have guaranteed Reese Dixon Waters a, a starting spot. Um, and it, you know what? You know what happens? If he doesn't play well, you can sit him anyway, and maybe that hurts, you know, like promises and all this other stuff. But, um, you know, you got to – at this point, Mick Cronin has to realize that he has to give some. Mm-hmm. You can't just be like, no, it's it, – you have to – you know, you, we've got to do exactly what I say. I get that that's what's gotten him here, but um, we're about to find out if he can weather this storm because it's a, it's a brutal storm to find out. Any other thoughts about UCLA going – we barely talked about these games. I mean, UCLA basketball-wise has a lot of problems going on. Um, does anyone have, have anything to say about that? I, I always think they should get – bona involved more i maybe i'm crazy but like he seems like the most talented guy on the floor he always seems like he's finishing these games like with five or six shot attempts but he's made like 80 percent of those um i just don't it it i mean it seems like it works more often than not when he touches the ball and i i just don't i don't see why he's not more of a focal point of the offense 
I think part of it, Reed, uh, and it's a good point. Part of it is early on in the season, he was a focal point. Uh, he gets a lot of touches down low and then sort of struggled with having to create everything by himself. And I think they've been trying to get him more involved in natural action and rolls to the rim and, you know, in some better spots. And they have done that. And he has gotten much better as the season has gone gone on. A Dembone has. Um, but I think now that they're sort of like relying on trying to get him in better spots, their guard play has become very apparently um uh, a, a net negative Dylan Andrews, their starting point guard has gone demonstrably worse at creating at defense, honestly, um, as, a a penetrator, as an aggressive player, he's, he is not, he, he has, he has regressed dramatically. Sebastian Mack, uh, not really a creator, but is an attacker, very inefficient, very chaotic when he goes inside, not a, a super clean finisher all the time can draw some fouls, but super erratic and ends up being a net negative offensively for them. So I think they're just having a hard time getting in the ball. I think, I think that is a huge part of it. They don't have anyone to the run the offense. Um, and you know, I, I have, I have really liked a Dembona being someone who can, um, uh, roll to the rim and kind of create off other action, but here we are. Um, all right. Well, that is, uh, UCLA. We'll see what happens with them. Let's move on to the rest of the slate. Rapid fire. Lots of basketball going on here. We start with a team we haven't talked about, really. Oregon goes 2-0 in their... They went to the Washington schools, right, Reed? Uh, they went to the Washington schools, go 0-2. They beat Washington State 89-84, followed that up with a win, or that was followed, preceded by a win against Washington 76-74. Two quality wins for Oregon. Oregon also undefeated in Pac-12 play. There they are, sit at the, sit atop the standings. They are 48th in Ken Palm. Reed, how, how are you liking your Oregon Ducks? Four Pac-12 wins, all by single digits. Winners win, man. Winners <laughs> win. Um <laughs> <laughs> these were these were ugly games. Uh, they needed different things both times. Um, shot a little better against Wazoo, but found a way both times. Uh, Jackson Shellstad continues to be kind of the leader of this team as a freshman. Um, always seems to kind of step up and create space when needed, but a lot of these other role players are doing great around him, whether it's Brennan Riggsy, Kwame, De- Kwame Evans Jr., the freshman, Cousinards, I thought, had to step up this season largely. And the big thing is, like, what happens when Infali Dante comes back? Is he going to be that central big man down low that elevates Oregon into a team that's just scraping by up to, you know, maybe the second best team in the conference? Oregon looks good. I'm really, I I think they're a terrifying team, especially when they get healthy. And to your point, Infali Dante should be coming back soon, right? I yeah. think it's... He had surgery. Yeah, it was about they in January. The probably timeline was four to six yeah, weeks. I think I think late yeah. January, maybe, maybe sooner. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see if he, and especially if he can stay on the floor, I think that would be massive for Oregon because this Oregon team is figuring it out. They they look like a really really good team. Um, USC went two and zero in their homestand against the Bay Area schools. Beat Stanford uh, 93-79 on Saturday, and then back on Wednesday, they beat Cal by 882 to 74. Avery, 
Are they, is Bronny James fixing everything for USC? I, I'm not tuning in to USC until February. <laughs> like, let me see, let me see them cook a little more and maybe, but man, they had such a disappointing, like last month that I just don't, Yeah, I'm, I'm not ready to buy in. I'm not either. Uh, Greg, did you see the comments from LeBron James that uh, Bronny James could start for the Lakers like right did now? Did he say that? <laughs> I, that's I, a- either, I, either I was trolled. Was I troll? No, I think it's. I think that's as much brawny propaganda as it is. You know, just typical January LeBron trying yeah. to send some weird <laughs> message to his team when he's not happy, and the trade lo- the trade deadline's a month away. Yeah. <laughs> Let them know they're about to be sold for spare parts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, it was confirmed that LeBron did say in a locker room was overheard saying very loudly he could play it for us right now. Easy. <laughs> Uh, and that was actually in the context of him saying it was time for him to start at USC. Man, if he doesn't start for USC, what's going to happen to Andy Enfield? Andy Enfield is in a weird spot. But hey, they got two wins. So what What do they care? Um, and then moving over to women's basketball. Oh, man. Uh, UCLA uh, continues its reign of terror all over the league. They beat the shit out of a bad Oregon team. This Oregon team is not good. Oregon women's hoops. I'm so sorry, Reed. Kelly Graves, he might be on his way out. Uh, this is looking really, really ugly for them. Um, Oregon State, uh, very competitive with UCLA. UCLA won 65-54, but Reagan Beers and gang and Tara Van Offler uh, had kept it competitive for most of this one. Uh, but UCLA emerges victorious despite being dragged into the mud by Oregon State. So shout out Oregon State. They look like a legit team. People were like, are they not playing anyone? They've got a gaudy record. You know, they're like 12 and one coming into this game. They haven't played any quality teams. They go, they play the uh, LA schools, play them super tough on the road. We'll see if that translates to wins down the line. Meanwhile, uh, Colorado is starting to emerge as a real player in the conference. They uh, sweep the Arizona schools in Arizona. They beat the hell out of Arizona State 81 to 68 and then narrowly escape uh, Arizona 75-74. Big story out of uh, Boulder is that they found – they may have found a star and a point guard. Um, The knock on Colorado has been they're really, really good. They do it by committee. Do they have someone who's going to break out and become a star? Jalen Sherrod, their point guard, unbelievable point guard, um, unbelievable player. She's bursting onto the scene right now, is going to be a real problem. We are going to learn so much about the Pac-12 uh, in the coming weeks as uh, as Colorado and all these other teams continue on. Um, also undefeated this weekend was um, USC. They beat Oregon State and Oregon they are going to play UCLA next Monday, next Sunday in the Galen Center. So that'll be a fun rematch. Absolutely should get tuned in to that one. And then Stanford also went undefeated. They beat the Washington schools at home 75, 74 to 65 against Washington State and then followed that up with a 71 to 59 win over Washington. Cameron Brink looks like a legit national player of the year. She looks like the best player in the country at this point. Uh, absurdly dominant two-way player. Uh, I don't want to hear anything about Caitlin Clark. I just don't. It's. I think it's Cameron Brink. Um, she's an. She's unbelievable. Um, okay. Any other thoughts about women's basketball? Are you all gonna get out to a game? You all excited? You gonna watch a game? Is there any games that you're sort of watching, watching out for? Uh, UCLA USC rematch two weeks later. Why is? What's yeah, I know. Scheduling Silly for scheduling. That? Silly scheduling. Come on. It will still be a great game, though. It will be because the first one was so great. I I think the women's. Um, 
teams are just so much better than the men's this year. Like they're so well every year, but they're electric and people need to watch them. Top to bottom. Utah um, Stanford if, is uh is this Friday, I think. Oh uh, yeah. Should be a good one, even with Utah reeling a little bit. Like still two good teams. Alyssa Peely versus Cameron Brink. It's gonna be a blast. I mean Alyssa Peely's an amazing offensive player looks unstoppable would love to see what she does against cameron brink because cameron brink is a defensive nightmare for sure um the other big game next week for women's hoops uh colorado stanford gonna learn a lot about colorado gonna learn a lot about stanford those are two top 10 teams so we'll find out um i think right now though i think ucla is starting to pull ahead a little bit the metrics by the way if you're wondering like analytically metrics um analytically stanford is is the best team in the pac-12 but you know they've had a couple of losses they look a little up and down i think people by consensus the eye tests are telling them that ucla is that team so we will uh we will see okay all right um then that's it that's all we've got thank you so much everyone for tuning in thank you for subscribing to our youtube channel we will be back wednesday slash thursday for a patreon episode to talk about pac-12 football look ahead do some recalibrating on the season do a little trash talk why not we'll talk about whether oregon would have been the would have been the champions if uh washington didn't get in their way that's always the discourse we engage in for some reason so we'll do that um like and comment away on this youtube channel and subscribe to our patreon for five dollars at nerdtruckstops.com for now that's reed that's greg that's grapes i'm carlos We'll be back here next Sunday at 9 a.m. to talk about Pac-12 basketball. Thank you for subscribing again. Thank you for listening. And remember, oh, thank you to Homefield for sponsoring this podcast. And remember, there are no truck stops. Not even one. Rumors still and thick with smoke. So thick it makes you choke. The crowd falls in. The coffee's kicking in my patience. So everything. Said I'm lonelier than a single sax on a quiet city street. Things aren't always green.